That video's scary. I wish they wouldn't play it. All right, all right. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Hump day. Yeah, it is annoying. It is annoying. And it's a little played. It's a little played. If you've been here the last several weeks, you know that we are in a series called The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. And the premise of the series is pretty straightforward, all right? Here, here we're ripping off this zombie idea that's popular for Lord knows what reason. And we are making a comparison between all these zombie flicks and the people we see kind of walking around dead inside and what we see on a daily basis. Because as we read through the scriptures, here's what we see. We see that Jesus Christ, God through Jesus Christ, promises us this abundant, joy-filled life. This is just a review, all right? If you hadn't been with us, you're going to get up to speed in about the next two minutes. If you have, sit back, relax, text somebody, and then, and then put it away. Uh, I'm giving you a little refresher course in, in what the first four weeks of this series have been about, okay? God, through Jesus Christ, tells us that he wants us to have this joy-filled, peace-filled life, right? So, so Jesus comes and he says things like, I have come that they may have life, but not just life, life abundantly, right? He says things like that. He says things like, uh, if, if you have the Holy Spirit at work inside of you, one of the ways you'll know that that's true is that you'll have this deep abiding joy. You'll have peace and joy. That's one of the markers of your life. He says things like, I've given you all these commands, all these things I've told you to do, the way I want you to treat people, the way I want you to re relate to God, relate to me, relate to other people. I tell you those things and give you those commands, not just because they're good things, not just because they make God happy, but because they're good for you, right? Because ultimately, that's where your greatest joy is found. So Jesus says, I've given you these commands so that your joy may be complete. Over and over in the scriptures, we see that God wants us to have this deep, abiding joy. But here's the reality. When we look around, honestly, at our church, in our youth group, in this room here tonight, we see lots and lots of people, maybe most of the people that don't have that deep, abiding joy. They live like zombies, right? They don't, they don't have life in them. They're spiritually dead inside. And so the question that we're asking through this series is, why? Why is it that, that this great, amazing, all-powerful God who's, who wants us to have a joy-filled, peace-filled life, when he wants us as followers of Jesus to have this incredible life, why don't we have it? And so we're, we're answering that question in a different way every week, right? So we've been through four weeks already. And in week number one, you remember Brian talked about sin, Sin is one of those things that steals the joy and steals the life from us. It's, it's us doing things that God doesn't want us to do, or alternatively, not doing things that God does want us to do, right? That's sin, and that separates us from this amazing, joy-filled life that God wants us to have. Week two, you remember we talked about pride, and pride essentially means you're your own boss, right? You listen to yourself, and it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say, you're the boss, right? And, and so, if you're a proud person, and guess what? We all are proud people. It's very difficult for us to obey these commands that God says give us this joy, right? In week three, week three, Chris did a great job talking about unforgiveness. And unforgiveness essentially means somebody does something wrong to me, they make me mad, they make me angry, and that, that, that frustration and that anger turns into bitterness, right? And the bitterness makes our hearts hard. And when we have a hard heart, it's very difficult to have intimacy with God, and it prevents us from having the joy that God wants us to have. Tonight's uh, week four. Uh, this is week five. Week four, last week, was Brian. <clears throat> Brian talked about comfort, 
and security. He talked about living in, in, in this sort of comfort zone, that this is what we like to do. We like to be comfortable. We don't like to take risks. We don't like to depend on God for things. We like to have it all under control. And what Brian showed us was that the places where we grow most in life, the places where God stretches our faith and pours out his joy and this peace is outside of that comfort zone. And so Brian challenged us to get up and do things that we're uncomfortable doing, things that are hard, things that take faith to do. And if we'll do it, if we'll get up off of our rumps and go outside of our comfort zone, God will be faithful. Tonight is week five. I think we got one week left in the series. Tonight we're going to talk about a topic that, frankly, maybe this is a little, a little soon for you guys. Maybe you're not quite ready to hear this yet because you're not quite obsessed with it the way maybe your parents are. Maybe this is a sermon that's better suited for some of the adults in the room, but I promise you this, this message is relevant to you now. This, re this message is relevant to you now. Get this now before this becomes an issue in your life. Hopefully it's not too late already. Tonight we're going to talk about something called success. Success, right? And, and to kind of introduce the, the sermon, the topic, I'm going to let uh, uh, one of my friends, Shania Twain, sing us a little ditty. She's going to sing us a little song. She's got a message on her heart that she'd like to share with the group. And I'm going to let her do that, if you guys have that queued up. All right. Sing it, girl. We live in a greedy little world That teaches every little boy and girl To earn as much as they can possibly then turn around and spend it foolishly We created us a credit card mess We spend the money that we don't possess Our religion is to go and blow it all So it's shopping every Sunday at the mall All we ever want is more A lot more than we had before So take me to the some more when you get bored all we ever want is more a lot more than we had before so take me to
up money and things. Amen. Amen. Does anybody remember when Shania Twain used to sing good music? Because this is, this is not, not good music. She used to sing country music, but she went off the rails and did this kind of pop, hybrid, hip-hop. I don't, I don't understand it. But it gets the message across, right? The message is this. Here, here's how our world and our culture defines what it means to be successful. Have a lot of money, get a lot of stuff, right? Make as much money as you can so you can buy as much stuff as you can. Live in the biggest house you can, wear the nicest clothes you can, drive the nicest car, send your kids to the best schools, make money, make more money, make some more money. That's what it means to be a success, right? This isn't a surprise to anyone. If we talk about someone being successful at their job, he's a successful doctor, he's a successful business owner, what do we mean? They make a lot of money. Money. This is how the world defines success. And the fact is, you guys are inundated with this message every single day. I had never heard of this crazy ka song until I got on the internet this, this week and tried to find some kind of little video, or, you know, we like to do a little video or a little song or something to kind of intro the topic. And I googled songs about money. There's like a million songs about money, right? There's no shortage of songs out there that you guys are listening to probably each and every day that say, here's what it is to be successful. It's driving the nicest cars, it's having the most jewelry, it's having the biggest house, it's having boats and yachts and going on trips, right? Stack those dollar bills as high as you can. That's what it means to be successful. That's the reality we live in. But here's what we know. As followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible has a ton to say about money. A ton to say about money. And it may not surprise you to know that what the Bible has to say about money is not exactly what the world is telling us about money. Okay, so, so this week, what we want to do is point out the ways that success, the world's definition of success, how success and money rob us of this joy and this abundance that God wants us to have. Okay, so we're going to take kind of a whirlwind tour of the Bible and what the Bible has to say about money. And I've got a ton of material for us to cover, so I'm going to talk very, very fast. You're going to listen very, very fast. We're all going to get along, and we're going to go home and be satisfied. All right, that's what's going to happen tonight. So here's the deal. As, as I look through the Bible, there are hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that talk about money. Right? So I've got to narrow it down somehow. So, so what criteria do I use? So, so I look, and I, I see there's, there's all kinds of this good stuff. We could talk about a ton of stuff, and I think it makes the most sense maybe for us to pick out a couple of the people in the Bible that know the most about money. So I look for the richest people I can find in the Bible, all right? And I found two. So two of the richest people in the entire Bible, that's who we're going to hear from tonight because it makes sense to take money advice from a rich person, right? That just, that makes good logical sense. So here's the first person. The first person we're going to talk about tonight, or who actually is going to talk to us, his name is King Solomon. Solomon was the third, this is just a little refresher, Solomon was the third king of the nation of Israel. Solomon was King David's son. King David and a lady named Bathsheba were um, kicking it, right? Got into a little bit of trouble, kind of an ugly mess. And anyway, long story short, they eventually get married and eventually they give birth to, actually Bathsheba, I guess, did the birth giving, gives birth to Solomon. Solomon is David and Bathsheba's son. Eventually Solomon becomes king. And when Solomon's anointed king, Solomon is praying and he's praying to God. And God says, Solomon, I tell you what, you're king now. I'm going to grant you one request, 
right? And Solomon's like, oh man, this is, this is good, this is good. What should, what should I ask for? What should, should I wish for a thousand more wishes, right? That's what everybody would, now he's like, nah, that's probably against the rules. Maybe, should I wish for money? If I had a lot of money, we could, we could accomplish a lot. We could build a lot of stuff. No, no, he'll probably think I'm greedy. I don't want to do that. I've got it. I'm going to ask for wisdom. Solomon asks God, hey God, I've got this massive country with all these people to rule over, and I've got to make judgments. Will you just give me wisdom so that I can rule justly and wisely? And God says, man, yes, I will give you that. In fact, I'm so impressed that you would ask for wisdom that I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and fame and power all with this wisdom because of how wisely you asked. So this is Solomon. He becomes immensely successful, immensely wealthy. The Bible tells us that Solomon's annual income, just in gold, he imported cedar and and, and these different kinds of minerals and other precious metals, but just in gold, Solomon imported about $1.1 billion every year. His his, his income was at least $1.1 billion in today's dollars every single year. That's just his income, right? That's just his play money. So some historians, some experts think that Solomon's fortune, his net worth, was valued somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 billion. Just to put that into context, Bill Gates today is the wealthiest person in the entire world. He's worth about $76 billion. Solomon had about $100 billion, which makes him probably one of the wealthiest people ever to live on the face of the earth. So when Solomon talks about money, we ought to listen right? That's the first person. The second person is kind of a central character in the Bible. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's also known as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator and the sustainer of all things. All things were made through him and by him and for him. So Jesus literally owns everything in the entire universe, which means that his net worth is somewhere around infinity dollars, right? So when Jesus talks about money, we're going to listen. Okay, so we're going to take two main passages of scripture. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and start putting your finger where we're going to be. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Ecclesiastes chapter two. Then we're going to skip forward to chapter five. And then after we're done with Ecclesiastes and Solomon, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament and we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Okay, so give those to you again. Ecclesiastes two is where we're going to start. Then we're going to be in Ecclesiastes five. Then we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, if time allows, tonight. I think we're going to have it on the screen. If you're not there, feel free to follow along on the, on the screen. And, and again, here's what we're trying to answer. How does this concept of success, this concept that we just need more money and that everything will be okay, how does that actually end up stealing our joy and robbing us of the life that God wants to give us? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 4. This is Solomon writing. Again, remember, Solomon is immensely wealthy. He's just crazy rich. He's built this amazing palace. He's built this temple. He's built this whole city of Jerusalem up. He's built parks and gardens, and he's done these amazing, amazing things. This is Solomon toward the end of his life, and he's looking back on it, and he's going, man, I've done a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff, and I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to tell you which ones of the things that I did were good things and which ones were just kind of pointless, kind of meaningless. And if you've never read Ecclesiastes before, this is basically what Solomon says. He essentially says, following God was worthwhile. Pretty much everything else I did was pointless, meaningless. He says vanity in the ESV. So let's, let's dive in. This is the part of the, of the book where Solomon talks about money. This is relevant for us tonight. This is what he says. This is Solomon. I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves or servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. Hello. The delight of the children of man. If you don't know what a concubine is, ask your dad, because I'm not going to tell you. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, so far, Solomon's basically said, look, I made a ton of money, and whatever I saw, I bought it. Because I worked for it, I feel like I earned it. If I saw something that I thought would give me pleasure, I bought it, right? I didn't deny myself any pleasure, spared no expense. And then listen to what he says. He says, then I look back on it. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, this is his conclusion, all of it was vanity or meaningless, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Fast forward to chapter five. This is, this is Solomon getting a little more practical. This is where he starts to give us a little bit of advice. So far, basically, he said, I made a lot of money. I bought a lot of stuff. It was kind of pointless. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 10. This is where we're going to kind of camp out for a minute. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. That's a lot. You guys did a good job following along. I'm going to give you just kind of the David Hicks paraphrase version. This is basically what Solomon just said. I made a ton of money. I bought a lot of stuff. I thought that that stuff was going to make me happy. It didn't. It disappointed me. And in fact, that stuff that I thought was going to make my life so good actually ended up making my life worse. And follow, Solomon gives us these four observations in there. These are intensely practical observations. You guys know what the word practical means? Pr practical means it's stuff that we can actually apply in our life right now, today, right? Th this stuff is how we, this, this impacts how we live our life. So this is why I love scripture because it's not just, it's not just head in the clouds, high-minded theology that only scholars can understand. It's also very, very practical. It also helps us live our daily lives, okay? So Solomon makes four practical observations about money, all right? I'm just going to give them to you. We're going to go down the list very quickly. These are pulled directly from Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12. Number one, Solomon says, money does not satisfy. Essentially, he says, the more stuff we get, the more stuff we want. Look at how he says it. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. In other words, the more stuff we get, the more stuff we want. Solomon's essentially saying, look, you guys, success and money, it's like a mirage. Everybody know what a mirage is? A mirage is one of these kind of phenomenon that occur out in the desert where there's no water for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, right? But these people that get out here and get, they get stranded in the desert and, and they just desperately need something to drink. They know they need water and they look 50 miles away. They can see across the desert and, and they see what looks like water. 
right? But, but, but it's not water, is it? It's a mirage. And a mirage is essentially where the, Douglas White can probably explain this to you better than I can, where the heat kind of rises up off the ground. It causes the, the, the light waves to like wave back and forth kind of funny, and it makes it look like there's water over there, right? So these, these poor people that are stranded, that know they need water, they trek these 10, 50, 100 miles across the desert, and they think, once I get there, man, I'll have all this water and I'll be satisfied. And they get there, and it's just sand for miles. Solomon's saying, that's kind of how money is. That's kind of what success is like. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So, so that if you're, if you're at this level economically, and you think, man, if I, could, if I could just get to this level, I would be happy, and my problems would go away. I would, I would just be, I would be satisfied if I could just go from here to here. And Solomon says, no, no, because once you get here, guess what? You're going to think, oh, if I could just get to this level, man, then I would be happy. And Solomon's like, no, once you get there, you're going to want to go here, and you're going to want to go here, and on and on and on it goes. Money, he says, doesn't satisfy. Remember, this is a guy that made over a billion dollars a year. He's telling you money does not satisfy. It's a false promise. Number two, Solomon says more money means more moochers. This is how he says it. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Everybody know what a moocher is? A mooch? Somebody that mooches off you? A moocher is somebody that, that doesn't have much, but hangs out with people who do, right? And, and, and they, they kind of uh, uh, benefit from the people that have, have a lot of stuff, right? So this is the person that gets a ride with you, but never gives you a ride, right? Or, or, or he comes over and eats your food at your house, but you never go and eat food at his house, right? This is what a moocher is. And Solomon says, look, this is intense. This is so practical. The more money you make, the more people there are going to be around you that want to live off of your money. That's what Solomon's saying. Here, here's a story. This is true in our day and age too. There was, a, there was a guy back in the late 80s, early 90s, way back when, his name was MC Hammer, right? Anybody ever, ever heard of MC Hammer in the house tonight? Come on. Come on, church. Amen and amen. Hammer had songs like, uh, like, too Legit to Quit, he had uh, uh, Can't Touch This, just some really, really classical tunes uh, go down in, in musical hi history. He walked around like this all the time, right? <laughs> he, did the, he had the hammer pants and the whole nine yards. Hammer was the man. H hammer was this, was this rapper that, that kind of got popular when rap was sort of coming out of, uh, you know, just hardcore, like, cop-killing gangster rap, like, straight out of Compton stuff. And now it was like, it was like kind of going mainstream, like MTV was getting popular, and like, soccer moms were starting to listen to, to MC Hammer rap and stuff. Like, so he gets very, very popular, right? He makes millions and millions and millions of dollars doing these silly dances and doing songs for, like, the Addams Family movies. And he's very, very, very popular, right? Makes tons and tons of money. But Hammer apparently didn't read Ecclesiastes because Hammer had an entourage of 200 people, right? Hammer's, Hammer's posse was 200 people. You understand what, what, what an entourage is? These are, these are people that are kind of hangers on. They're, they're roadies and they're groupies and they, they're people that go and get your coffee and go and get your, your dry cleaning and, and, and they wave you with palm branches and they feed you grapes and they give you foot massages and I don't know what else they do. Uh, they just hang around, right? And, and Hammer had to pay for all these people, 200 people. Right? And it's expensive to keep up 200 people. In fact, Hammer says eventually it was costing him $500,000 every single month to feed these people and house these people and take them on the road with him and do whatever he did. Guess what happened to Hammer eventually? He ran out of money. 
Imagine that, 500 grand a month on 200 people to feed you grapes and whatnot. He ran out of money, he went bankrupt. Solomon says more money means more moochers. Hammer could, could attest to that. Number three, Solomon says there's a limit to how much we can consume. There's a limit to how much we can consume. He says, what advantage has their owner? He's talking about all these goods, these goods that increase and pack, uh, uh, stack up and pile up. These goods that increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Solomon says, there's a limit to how much we can consume. It doesn't matter how much money you make. All of us have 24 hours in every day. There's a limit to how much stuff we can do. There's a limit to how much stuff we can eat every day. Some of us can eat a lot more than others, but there's a limit, right? There's a limit to how much you can be entertained every day. There's a limit to how many trips you can go on every day, how many houses you can sleep in every day, how many cars you can drive every day. Solomon's saying there's a limit to the amount of pleasure that money can give us. Yeah, you can buy money, you, 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 sorry, you can spend money, you can buy food, you can buy entertainment, and it'll give you pleasure for a little while, but there's a cap, and, and there's a limit to how much you can enjoy your money, to, to where eventually you're going to have all these toys, and you're just going to have to look at them, because you can't possibly enjoy them. That's what Solomon's saying. Number four, Solomon says very simply, the more money we have, the more problems we have. This is counterintuitive. This is opposite of what the culture tells us. Because our culture tells us that if we just had more money, our problems would go away, right? Like, like, I won't have to worry about paying the electric bill, and I won't have to worry about paying the mortgage, and I won't have these money problems if I just had more money. Solomon says, yeah, some of your problems may go away. You might be able to pay the electric bill and pay the mortgage, but those problems that you had when you didn't have a lot of money are going to be replaced by more complex, bigger, broader, harder problems. Right? This, this is what he said. This is how he puts it. He says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Everybody know what a laborer is? A laborer is like a, like a blue-collar worker, right? Somebody that gets paid an hourly wage to do a job, right? They work hard, they clock in, they clock out, and when they're done, they're done, right? They go home, they relax, they put their feet up, they don't have a bunch of stuff to worry them, right? Solomon's saying that guy sleeps well at night. But Solomon says, and he's speaking from experience, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. In other words, the more money we have, the more we have to worry about our money, right? So, so if, I, if I start making more money, suddenly I've got to decide what to do with it. Where, where should I put it? Maybe I should buy a bigger house. All right, well, if I go and I buy a bigger house, well, now we move into the bigger house. Now I'm worried about paying this bigger mortgage. What if I lose my job? What if I get a pay cut? What if I don't get that same bonus next year? Will I be able to afford it? Maybe I shouldn't buy the house. Maybe I should send the kids to private school. Now we can afford it. Now we've got a little bit of money. Let's send them to that private school that's expensive. Okay, well, now we do that and the kids get in school. Well, what if I lose my job? What if I don't get that bonus next year? Can I pay the tuition? What if tuition goes up? Now I'm worrying about these kinds of things. What, maybe, maybe private school is not a good idea. What about, uh, let's see, I could, I could invest my money, right? Okay, let's, let's take that money and let's invest it. Well, where do I invest it? Well, which one has more risk? Which one has less risk? Which one's going to give me the highest return? Which one's going to be taxed the right way, the wrong way, right? So we start, we start worrying about where our investment's going up. Now we're worried about the stock market. We're riding the roller coaster up, we're riding the roller coaster down. On and on and on. These issues arise. Solomon's saying more money doesn't mean less problems. More money means more problems. Ultimately, Solomon says money doesn't satisfy our deepest desires. Ultimately, it disappoints. All right, we got about five minutes, so I'm going to have to fly. That's Solomon. Skip ahead to Mark chapter 10. 
Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. This is going to be a story about Jesus. Jesus is going to tell us a thing or two about money. Remember, as we walk through this, we're trying to answer the question, how is it that money and success rob us of our joy? Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, this is what it says. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. In, in other words, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I, I'm a good guy. I've done all that since I was a little boy. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Let me read that again. It's easier for a camel with the humps and, and, the, and the big goofy legs and the knobby knees to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Again, let me give you just the David Hicks paraphrase in case you fell asleep there for a second until I said hump day. This is essentially what's going on. Jesus has been teaching. He's been performing miracles. He's, he's been saying these amazing things. And this guy comes up to him. And the guy is probably very well dressed, right? Like he probably rode in on a, on a nice chariot. And he's got nice horses. And this guy's a young guy. And he's got several businesses. He's very successful. And he's heard that Jesus is talking about something that nobody's got. And that's a way to inherit eternal life. And the guy goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I, I want this eternal life. This, this sounds really good, what you're talking about. Tell me how I can get it. I got lots of stuff. I don't got eternal life. I want you to tell me how to get it. And Jesus says, well, you know what the, what the scriptures say, right? You know the commandments. You know not to kill anybody and not to, to commit adultery. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all that. I got all those boxes checked. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. I've got all that memorized, and I'm good to go there. And Jesus is like, all right, this guy's, this guy's serious. And Jesus looks at him. And, and, and this is essentially what he's saying. Jesus says, it's not about following rules. It's about following me. It's not about following rules. It's about following Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, look, man, if, if you're serious about this, I can see that your heart is, is not quite where it needs to be. In fact, let's, let's put your heart to the test, right? And here's what Jesus says. He says, go and sell all your stuff and then just give the money away. All this stuff you've accumulated, this business that you've got, these properties that you have, just sell it all and give the money away. Because Jesus knew that this guy's heart wasn't actually inclined toward following Jesus and saying yes to God. He knew that this guy's priority ultimately was money and stuff. Jesus knew a few principles about money. Number one, very, very, very quickly, we're going to speed through this. 
Jesus knew that we worship money instead of God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving for money that some have wandered away from the faith. In other words, we tend to worship money instead of God. And when we do, it pulls us away from God instead of toward God. Number two, we trust money instead of God. We trust money instead of God. Jesus looked at this guy and he knew that this guy's trust wasn't in Jesus. His trust was in his money, right? There's this amazing prayer in the book of Proverbs. And uh, I wonder how many of us in the room tonight could actually pray this prayer and mean it. This is what it says. Could you ask yourself tonight, could you pray this prayer to God right now and mean it? This is what it says. God, give me neither poverty nor riches. In other words, I don't want to be poor, but I also don't want to be rich. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Can any of us in this room tonight honestly pray the prayer? God, I don't want to be poor, but I don't want to be rich either. Because I recognize the, the, the risk inherent in being rich. And here's the risk. The risk is I'm going to get too much stuff and I'm going to get very comfortable in my comfort zone. And I'm going to say, man, I don't really have any need for God. I've got enough money to take care of my problems. Who is God? Who is the Lord anyway? I've got what I need. We worship money. We trust money. We serve money instead of God. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus looks at this rich young guy, and, and, and he knew something that this guy didn't, and, and that's this. A heart that's devoted to money is not a heart that's devoted to God. And, and we're about to close, and, and we're about finished, but that's the, that's the question for us tonight. Are we people that have hearts that ultimately are set on money, set on success? Or are we people, are we people that are devoted to God? See, we're in this crazy American culture that has this thing called the American dream where if you work hard and you get the right education and the right job, you can make more money and send your kids to the best school so that they can get the right job and make more money and, and on and on the cycle goes. And maybe, maybe you're not quite on that cycle yet, but maybe you're headed in that direction. Or, or maybe you're full-blown on that cycle already where you just think, man, if I could just get the right stuff, everything would be fine. The challenge to you tonight is to break that crazy American cycle. Let's be a people that can actually say no to money and yes to God. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and bow our heads. The band is going to come back up and play one more song. And ask yourself tonight, as, as, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, ask yourself where your heart is in relation to this thing called success, in relation to this thing called money. Are, are you a person, can you honestly say, God, I, I don't want to be poor, but I don't want to be rich either because I recognize that it's dangerous to be rich. Not only will it ultimately not satisfy me, but it could very well lead me away from you. Ask yourself where your heart is. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, it's amazing just to be in your presence, to read your word, Father. You, 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 your word is a double-edged sword that cuts through the lies our culture tells us each and every day in a million different ways. And God, my prayer tonight for these young people is that they would be people that recognize the truth because they know you, Lord. They know your face. They know your word. 
Father, and they take delight and joy in knowing you. And they know that what you can provide, the joy you can give, is so much deeper, so much bigger, so much more abundant than anything the world has, Lord, that they say no to the cares of this world and yes to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that in Jesus' holy name. Amen.